Hello and welcome to episode 16 of the City Centric Podcast. So, for those of you that are new to the show, this series is focused on having friendly interviews with practitioners working at the coalface of making cities better places. My name is Josh and I am the regular host. So, we set up this podcast with the awareness of all the great things that are being done in the built environment industries of real estate, construction, smart technologies, architecture, urban planning and the rest. And therefore, this series is about opening up to who the humans are who are at the coalface of making this difference, the ones getting up every day going, how do I make this better, that better? How do I improve the lives of people that live in our built environments? So it's about giving them an additional platform, an additional voice, helping us all be inspired by the things that are going on to see that not everyone is bad in the world of real estate and construction, that there are people making a really great difference and people who do want to see cities being better places. Before I get on with the show, Centric are taking part in a three-day conference called City X, which is being curated by our friends, the Future Cities Catapult, which is in Clerkenwell in central London in late September. It's being held at the Urban Innovation Centre. So a little bit about the actual sort of three-day event is that it's an opportunity for people to come and dive into and see the priority challenges facing cities today and discover how UK businesses are harnessing emerging technologies to unlock radical new solutions and develop the relationships needed to drive the adoption of advanced urban services. So there's over three days, and each three days are themed around the most pressing challenges facing cities. And there's a collection of inspiring speakers from industry, academia, city leadership, covering all sorts of things. And the three days are around the adaptable city, the breathable city, and the mobile city. Listeners to the show can get a 20% discount by following the link in the info section of this podcast, by the SoundCloud page, or just by dropping us an email to podcast at thecentriclab.com and requesting one. So... On to today's show. Well, it picks up from where we've literally just left off. In this episode, I'm sitting with Sam Markey, who is the Future Cities Catapult Head of Executive Office. He commissioned, alongside someone else, the Neuroscience for Cities playbook. And we're also sitting with its lead author, our very own Araceli Camargo, who is the head of R&D for Centric. The purpose of this session was to invite them on to explain in their own words why such a venture was taken and where its direction lies. A first of its kind, the playbook was a close collaboration between Centric, the Future Cities Catapult, but as well as University College London. And its aim was to bring forward a framework of how neuroscience research can be put into practice in cities. And this presented us with a series of new tools, methodologies and strategies for organisations big and small to adopt neuroscience into their supply chain. So we're going to hear a little bit more on how the idea of using neuroscience to help cities arose only in around about the past 10 years and how the technology only really made it possible in around about the past three. And so we're now on a cusp of a revolution in how metrics of neuroscience inform urban innovation strategies and increase the quality of life for the cities and those who inhabit it. So that's enough from me and let's get on with the show. Excellent. So sitting here with Sam Markey of the Future Cities Catapult, who was the commissioner of the playbook Neuroscience for Cities, as well as Araceli Camargo from our very own lab, who was the lead author of the playbook. So, um, Jelly, you were on a few episodes ago, so I hope you don't mind, but I'm going to ask Sam to give a little bit of an introduction as to who he is and how his time at Barnet Council, as well as the Cabinet Office, shaped his expectations about what to deliver as your sort of head of executive office role. And it might be worth sort of deliberating, actually, what is a head of executive office for the Future Cities Catapult. Fantastic. Well, it's, yeah, it's great to be here. Um, head of executive office uh, is a sort of chief of staff, calm, general fixer, uh, helping our chief executive uh, execute the vision and strategy for the organisation. So I'm a kind of 
yeah, a roving force multiplier. Uh, and I've been at the Catapult for uh, just over two years now. Uh, and so, in fact, um, uh, was, was here uh, with you guys fairly early after joining and um, hearing about the work you're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's exciting to be at this stage in the journey together. Before uh, joining the Catapult, as you say, I worked in central government. I worked in cabinet office on um, policy implementation and understanding why it is that stuff doesn't happen uh, <laughs> and uh, how, uh, how we fix things and make things actually work when they get announced and funded. Uh, and before that, I worked in, in local government in Barnet. I started uh, on, in um, the very frontline role, working, helping uh, people apply to become British nationals. Uh, so a really kind of coalface, uh, grassroots role, uh, meeting real people uh, in the community uh, and um, understanding their needs. And so I suppose my journey has been from that very direct exposure with, uh, with citizens and, and people who live in um, you know, the fringes of London um, and understanding how the place affects their experience and, the, and their needs. Uh, I was also involved whilst I was there in, um, in work on local estates. There was one particular estate that uh, I was involved in where it was one of the ones that has a one road in and one road out. It had a real... Uh, it was a real concentration of kind of poverty and deprivation and a real lack of aspiration. You know, dominoes wouldn't, wouldn't um, drive in. They, they'd stop. You had to go to the top if you wanted to order takeaway. Oh they, they felt it wasn't safe. So really kind of exposed to some of these very real lived experiences of place. Mm. Went, uh, um, was, was also involved with creating something called the Barnet Graph of Doom, uh, which is um, a kind of surprisingly seminal articulation of the challenge facing local government around um, rising pressures on services and declining budgets. Um, and uh, so I have sort of lived with that, not shadow, but that, uh, that um, contribution to the public discussion. I say went to cabinet office to try and start solving some of those challenges and be part of the solution, part of fixing the, the challenges that I'd helped to articulate. Um, and uh, worked latterly particularly around house building and why is it that um, innovative technologies like uh, off-site construction and um, digital design aren't more widely adopted in house building? Why are we still building houses and buildings the same way we've been doing um, you know, for a very long time when other potentially more efficient uh, uh, technologies are available? Uh, and so working to try and make it more possible for that sort of technology to be adopted. And then, as I say, I joined the, the, um, the Catapult two years ago. Uh, again, I suppose part of my effort to uh, be part of solving some of those challenges to, uh, to make uh, cities better places for people to live, uh, to uh, tackle some of the challenges, uh, and to help local policymakers, local decision makers, um, leverage the creativity in the market uh, to solve some of the real challenges that they face. Um, and so this has been a really exciting avenue of exploration, the neuroscience work, uh, a whole new toolkit and um, way of thinking for uh, public sector placemakers, city managers, city mayors to, uh, to go about it. And of course, for the industry uh, to uh, create new and innovative solutions to those needs. Awesome. So I think we'll we'll get to the playbook uh, a little bit mm. down the line in this in this uh, conversation that we'll have. But I think uh, you know many people when they think about cities and they think about the built environment and they think about often those in the know will think about the broken planning system. And it's something we've actually discussed before with uh, Stefan from the Future Cities Catapult. But it's often a general topic that we've discussed on the, on the podcast. But 
Something I wanted to ask you more, because of your position in which you were interfacing with city leaders from around the world, and we kind of know that planning is broken. It is broken in, in for many perspectives. It's broken internally from sometimes apathy, sometimes uh, almost a Luddite attitude to technology in some departments, I must caveat that. Equally, the forces around it are making it more complex. And in many environments, they're often quite underfunded, underskilled. Um, and you know, journalists such as Oliver Wainwright, who writes for the, the Guardian and The Observer here in the UK, he will talk about how you know uh, planners are being abused in other ways. So I don't think we need to go into that conversation right now. But what I'm interested in in asking you and hopefully you sort of shedding some more light that be on the planning system. When you're interfacing with large city changers, city makers, what are the what are the innovative products that they're and solutions they're trying to find? What are other things that they're looking at that they need help in? Uh, everything from is it communication? Is it data analysis? Is it trying on you know? Is it benchmarking? Where where are the future city leaders trying to look and what is it that you guys at the catapult are seeing that is exciting about the kind of progressive attitudes they're taking it's a great question so i think there's been um historically uh, and quite recently this uh, sort of sales campaign around smart city solutions and, and the catapult we we don't tend to talk about smart cities because it's a bit of a, it's a sort of, it's a failed brand exercise, and um, it's usually seen to be uh, the the domain of you know the IT guy or um, you know one person who's really passionate about um, sort of smart technologies. And what we've been trying to do, and I think with some success, and continue to try and do, is to shift the conversation away from this niche idea of smart cities and, in, and sort of special innovation budgets and going. There are people out there right now who've got real innovative solutions to the main problems and the main services you're trying to deliver. So don't don't see um, urban innovation and, and innovation as um, a nice to have you know add-on where you do a sort of bit of a comms thing around it. See it as the solution to the fundamental challenge you have to uh, deliver the housing targets you have to promote public health and well-being to make it easier for people to get back and forth across your place to, um, to access work, um, to reduce the demands on your care, health and care system. Uh, all of those are, thing, are problems and challenges that have real money attached to them. They have real problem owners. Um, and there are people out there developing great services, solutions uh, and um, propositions related to those. Um, but too, but you know, too often the conversation has, has stuck around the kind of autonomous vehicles and you know, smart streetlights, and hasn't necessarily got into the heart of the business, heart of the, of the local authority. And as a result, the conversations uh, that stay get stuck around spending uh, and the risk of, of spending money on things that aren't particularly, there's not a clear business case. Um, whereas what we've been doing in places like Belfast and, and elsewhere is going, is helping places and city leaders articulate the real problems they have, the real needs they have, and finding that the market has amazing, innovative solutions to those things um, that the local authority would never have dreamed of themselves. Um, and had they gone out by trad traditional procurement, would have just got the same old thing, you know, slightly polished up from the standard suppliers. They're finding 
games companies and uh, behavioral insights companies and uh, big data companies and all sorts of people coming forwards and going, actually, I've got an idea, I've got a product or a concept which would apply to that and I can see there's an opportunity to make a real difference. So that's a lot of what the Catapult does. It's a bit of demystifying um, and then lots of brokerage and translation and convening um, so that more and more of those challenges of urban living, uh, which are very real, uh, can be tackled and, uh, and smoothed out and, and uh, owned by the local authorities who are responsible, if not directly, you know, indirectly as, as placemakers for much of them. Excellent. Thank you. I mean, I want to stick to the small agents of change mm. that uh, that occur in our cities. And again, we're, we're going to focus on cities in this conversation rather than, uh, you know, countries and rural districts. Um, so there are many, and I think this agents of change expression is is useful but there are many people endeavoring to change uh, their cities whether it be just literally their neighborhood or whether it be a city network and it could be through a community action group it can be through uh sometimes just a get together a meetup all the way through to you know three people sitting around a desk trying to sort of crack out some code that they might be able to get transport for london or you know the new york metro system uh to to, to implement but the the built environment is incredibly slow and we also have a very now sort of fast expectation of change thanks to things like technology arguably so when it comes to a, a lot of sort of individual players people really where their heart is so embedded in the right place is there any advice that you can have to people who are really desperate and trying to see change but at the same time, they're not getting where, getting there. And this is coming from a point of, do people need to collaborate? Do people need to kind of force, you know, are they speaking to the right people? And then that's part of it. Sometimes it might just be banging on the wrong door. So when it comes to someone who might be listening or sitting at home going, yeah, it's been a nightmare trying to actually get anything done. Do you have any kind of tips or ideas of, you know, who they should actually be engaging with and what type of a good you know, what is best practice to approach a city with kind of saying, well, I've done this and this and this, we're ready, rather than just turn up and go, I want to see change. Have you got any sort of interesting best practice examples of how a small entity or even an SME can really start to 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 make a difference in interacting with big, complex, messy organisations like cities? <clears throat> So one of the uh, obvious answers that I would say, of course, is uh, to come and talk to us at the Catapult. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, a big part of what we do is trying to, you know, reduce barriers to access and entry for um, for businesses, large and small. Uh, as you say, you know, lots of people come to us and say, you know, I've, been, I've, I've spoken to every local authority in the country trying to sell this thing. Uh, you know, no one's buying. You know, it's, it's a huge hot slog. Uh, and one of the things we're trying to do is is create platforms and create ways by which um, companies and change makers and, and agents of change, as you say, can uh, access more rapidly and more efficiently the, the, the decision makers. Because you say you know, every local authority in the country is slightly different. Uh, they're not necessarily very transparent. Um, they have uh, you know, slightly different procurement processes and policies. Um, and so that, that is a real uphill struggle for, for you know, both civic and private sector um, sort of entrepreneurs social entrepreneurs and the like. Um, I mean, I think there's also something about, uh, you're definitely right about collaborating um, and, uh, you know, pooling, pooling your energies, picking your battles, uh, you know, go with the grain. Um, 
there was a really interesting uh, another podcast I was listening to the other day actually uh, with, a, with a futurist who was talking about the, the fact that futurists uh, are less interested in predicting the future and more interested in making the future and what they're really interested in is, is affecting people's sense of agency. So if you, you know, if you see a future that you feel is really poor, but you feel really li- unable to change it, then that's really disempowering. So Future's work is partly about how people identify how they can affect change and how they can increase their agency. And I think that's exactly what entrepreneurs, um, innovators in the built environment and, and urban innovation more widely are doing. They, they see a future that they want to create um, and you know they're trying to cut a path to it, and so I think um, yeah, there's definitely about trying to find the path of least resistance. Um, you know, we really want to see uh, the market um, and local authorities working together. Um, there are lots of examples out there of cities being innovated unto by companies like Uber and, and others, um, you know, Airbnb and, and Ofo, for better or worse, you know, sort of happening in spite of the local authority. We're trying to help local authorities be better at framing their vision and their ask, um, and so that local, so that innovators can respond constructively and engage in that. Um, but at the same time, um, you know, we want to see innovation flourish. We want to see uh, companies grow, um, and sometimes that will mean working around, you know, the the city and the the circumstances. So yeah, I think I think it's a, it's a hard ask, um, but uh, a bit of pragmatism, um, a fair bit of collaboration, hmm. and um, yeah, working with organisations like ours who exist to try and make it easier. Cool, thanks. So. Um I think it's time that we move on to the playbook and uh, bring in uh, Arachay to the conversation. So, you know, you mentioned SMEs. Obviously, uh, Centric Lab is an SME and we're out there with a vision. We're out there with implementation. But the Future Cities Catapult saw an opportunity uh, to literally catalyze an idea in its, uh, in its youth. And it would be great to know that, you know, when we first started, we had... You know, just we'd brokered our relationship with the University College London. We started working with some key uh, individuals from that organisation, and had been internally R and for a little bit. But clearly, you saw something beyond just us as we walked in the door and had a meeting. So, can I ask uh, first, Sam, why? What was it about neuroscience in particular? Uh, and again, perhaps there are other sciences you might uh, relate it to that drew you to say, we want to be the leaders talking about this. And then, Arachelli, we're going to come to you and ask a little bit more about why why was it right for now that an idea that a playbook could exist on the topic of neuroscience? Why why in, well, it was 2017 when we, mm. when we started to work together, but why in 2018 is the right uh, period of time in which a document, a book, a, 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 you know, a project like this could start and exist, but we'll start with Sam and then we'll move to you, Arachelli. So, Sam. One of the things that um, the Catapult does is try to promote the adoption of existing technologies. There's lots of stuff out there right now that people just aren't buying for sorted reasons. Um, and so there's a, a big tranche of our work which is about that. But an equally important part of our work is looking ahead to what's coming down the line and being a proper future Cities Catapult and making bets uh, about the technologies and the innovative approaches um, and today's R&D, which is going to affect and could um, you know, positively shape um, products, services and cities of the future. 
Uh, and neuroscience is exactly one of those. Um, you know, we, we, we made bets previously as an organization on, as many have, on big data and data science on IoT and connectivity uh, and on um, sort of behavioral insights and, and customer insights, that kind of thing. And, uh, and for me, you know, it was obvious when, when we started talking that neuroscience, you know, was, um, uh, you know, should be the next big bet that we make, a, a domain which was, um, you know, was, was really opening up. And I, I, I confess I came to it knowing uh, next to nothing uh, about it and probably had lots of uh, misconceptions. Um, um, but it's been really fascinating uh, working with you guys and understanding what what the research set says, what it doesn't say, what it can and can't do. And, um, you know, constantly trying to apply that, as, as I know you guys do, to um, to the needs of cities and to the needs of, of those um, businesses and um, placemakers who are shaping them. So, yeah, it's um, it's a, it's a, it's been a big bet, and I think uh, it's paid off. I'm really excited about what <laughs> by what we've produced, at least, and um, I'm really hopeful to see how where it goes next. But yeah, mm. so Jay, well, over to you. I'm glad that you thought it was um, obvious because it wasn't that obvious to me for a while. Um, yeah, so I think in regards to timing, it's a it's a really interesting question. It it comes from two parts. One is that we are in this really awesome era where technology, design slash art, and science are converging. And in other historical eras, when that happens, you get the big eras, i.e. the Renaissance, the Enlightened period. And so I think we are in that, if if not already, but we're heading towards that. And so I think neuroscience being pulled out of academia, because it is the science of human and of this amazing entity called the brain, but it's also misconceived. It's not just the brain, it's the spinal cord, it's the whole um, system that neuroscience looks at. Um, so that's one side of it that I think we are in the right time from an industry perspective. There's a, enough curiosity for us to, to launch. And then the second is that, you know, we've had 20 or 15 to 20 years of people knocking on the neuroscience door to say, how can we use this to make better things for people? So, um, in San, San Diego is the, the Academy for Neuroscience and Architecture who have been sponsoring grants um, for the last 15, 20 years to look at first, I think the first question it was, can it, can neuroscience say anything about it? And then we progressed to, okay, yes, it can, um, but now we are at how. And this is where I think we've picked up on the playbook is how do we do this? So um, people like uh, architects like um, Palasma um, have written books on, yes, we can do this, but the how hasn't quite been there. So this is where hopefully we're picking up the baton on the, on, on the how. But with the how, as you said, came a lot of caveats because neuroscience is still a very, very new science. Um, there is a lot that we don't understand. So there is a question of resolution. How far down can we can we look at or how far up can we look up? So that was one of the first things that we did is that we identified where in neuroscience we were looking at 
and what part we were going to be using. Um, so the playbook also has a lot of nods to psychology, um, which makes sense because we need that interface. Um, but also, it also gives nods to the cellular side. So the work of Dr. Hugo Spears, who was um, um, the third author and the supporter of the science, um, which I think is really important that this was written with someone that is a lead now expert in navigation and in understanding that bridge between neuroscience and the and and, and the built environment, um, where we do start to look at some stuff on the cellular level um, for things that will come in the very very far future. Um, so yeah, I think the the playbook gives a breadth of what we can do now. What are the limits of it? Because I think that's very important. So we don't start to do pseudoscience, um, and equally um, looking at where we can start pushing the limits. Excellent. Um, actually, I want to stick with you for a moment. So within that sentence, you covered both from cellular work all the way through, kind of going up a scale to towards psychology. Mm-hmm. And we're in a conversation about cities and equally, therefore, we're, we're talking about how with this playbook, but jumping from looking at perhaps you know, cellular activity, how, you know, where is the how within that kind of if you can explain from a scientist perspective and almost putting your engineering hat on how you know, almost how the how works. Uh, otherwise, you know, is it pulling this from that? This you know, it's a little bit of this, a little bit of that. And it's kind of like a make piece puzzle or how can a, a city leader, a, a real estate developer, a construction manager for an infrastructure project look at this and appreciate, right, I, you know, as Sam says, I have a problem in my city. I'm trying to solve this. Where is the agency that's being delivered and across this spectrum of what cellular activity is useful that we can kind of understand then what is more closely related to psychology? How, how does the actual sort of playbook meet in, in that middle? Okay, that's a big question. So before that, maybe we should talk about the why a little bit before <laughs> before we get to, to, to that level of how. So well, I think one of the questions that we were first asked when we were when we were talking at the very beginning, it, it was why? What does neuroscience do and say that no other science can? Um, because science has gone into cities, you know, physics, engineering mm. <laughs> um, have build cities. Um, so it's not the first science that's gone into cities. Um, so there's a, there's a simple and there's a complex why. So the simple why is you look at infrastructure and you think, okay, we've got traffic and traffic. Most of it is a behavioral, um, problem with a infrastructure, impetus almost a catalyst right so if you have a road that has potholes in it or you have an intersection that doesn't quite make sense the light timings aren't quite right the roundabouts um, in this country are still a mystery to me but some of them (laughs) work really well and some of them really are confusing which causes people to hesitate and those hesitations you multiply them um, and or the bumps from uneven ground you multiply them and that's what causes traffic right and so you put that line of traffic next to a school next to a sports center next to a neighborhood and you have a contamination of pollutants to to the humans that are around that area Um, and then you have things like asthma so that was the first why that 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 
neuroscience is a biological science and we can understand it and of the whole body and system, which is something that we do as well in the playbook is define how we're using and looking at neuroscience and we're looking at the whole system because nothing is divorced. So a, um, if you have a, a toxin that is impeding someone to breathe correctly, there is also going to have cognitive consequences and that's what the studies are, are, are looking at. So that's the very simple one. And then the more complex one is that you have a societal and economic through line. So cities are expanding, they are growing. We know that people are moving into cities that much um, in a, at a faster pace than ever before. So you expand, but what happens is that the city center becomes where everybody wants to work, live, that gets expensive, and so poor demographics get moved, and they become very vulnerable. You have different segmentations of that poverty, um, specifically women of color or or single moms that become and children that become very vulnerable in those outskirts. And then you have then, because of zoning, because of funding, that infrastructure becomes weaker in joining those areas to 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 the city centers. And there's now a lot of a lot of support which goes into the playbook of different cities from cities in Brazil to cities in North America of really long um, time spent in traffic and in transporting from A to B. And then that's where we come to the human factor of that's time that that demographic isn't getting access to more education or self-education. So they can't move up the mobility ladder. Two, that is less time they are spending with their families, which then affects family structure. But it also gives way for things like feelings of loneliness, isolation, not having a, a place in a community or a sense of community, which we all know that then that starts to lead to very biological consequences like depression or anxiety. Um, and then, of course, you have the health aspect. Somebody that has spent an hour each way or an hour and a half of being sedentary for that amount of time, it starts to affect things like heart rate and other metabolical functions, um, which then again starts to lead into the cognitive side. So that's the very big through line of why, um, why neuroscience, that neuroscience can help us look at that entire through line and give it a human context and give it a, um, I think, a sense of urgency that maybe perhaps we haven't had before. So now getting to your question as to what <laughs> part do we look at. So I think at the moment, the cellular side, so the discovery of things like place cells or grid cells that in psychology, there were hypotheses that we had something biological that was happening that would help us orientate and understand how we're moving in space. Then the biological side came in and goes, yes, there is there is that. We do, there is something biological um, or what they call an internal compass that allows us to do that. So that framing allows us to understand that there is something in regards of how cities are being constructed that could be done better if we understood how humans navigate. So we could almost, if we think about coding language, how our biological interface can then interface with a infrastructure, that the code is the same. Because unfortunately, we don't sometimes. We do things that are actually quite antidotal to the, the way the brain might see things. And so that moves us up to a little bit further up from cells to the more cognitive side, which is the work that Hugo also does, which is understanding then how people are going to get from point A to point B. 
And that sounds very simple, but actually there's a lot of complexity in that simplicity. So how we get from point A to B, we're making a lot of micro decisions to do that, that can allow us to understand things like perception. So why we chose this route versus this route is really interesting. So for example, there are studies that on the urban side that say people will take a longer route if it's nicer than the shortcut that might be not as nice. That's what we try to come and understand. Why is there that preference? And that's when we then move into psychology. Psychology can help us understand more on the behavioral side. Why would somebody choose? But then the navigation comes in um, and we can understand, well, maybe it's because there aren't as many landmarks on the other side. And so there is nothing for the brain to read. And therefore that becomes, quote unquote, boring. There's no stimuli. So maybe there isn't that preference. So when you then take that to an engineer, an urban planner, a developer, you can start to say, okay, well, maybe this design, design A doesn't work as well as design B. Or you can say, let's make some mitigations if we can't make big changes to say things like, okay, if you have to have the path in that way and you have to have that development be constructed in that way, then let's make a couple mitigations to alleviate the stressors for the person getting from point A to point B. Um, and so that's then how I would say those through line happens and who can almost, uh, mine the different information that comes from, from, from neuroscience. Excellent. Jerry, that was a, a great exposition as to what is what, a 127 page document? It really <laughs> yeah. sort of well Yeah, so don't read it, just, just listen to that. <laughs> no, no, please read it, it, please read it. But, but Sam, for, you know, from that, you said a, a good description. Obviously, um, this, this paper goes about agency and, you know, Future Studies Catapult and yourself, you're in a position of influence and agency across many people. What are the, what are the things that you're really looking to take from this? Perhaps some of the things that Richelli might have mentioned there and actually now take to players going, hey, here is another point you can't ignore. What are we going to do together? So kind of what's your kind of first steps uh, with this new tool and how you develop it working with more uh, organisations? I think there are some really um, sort of obvious, immediate applications from the work that you've been doing, and we've talked about it um, uh, a bit before, but there's, there's angles of, you know, everyone's interested in productivity, local growth. Um, how, do we, how do we sort of tackle the productivity puzzle? Um, so there's a whole there's a whole line of thinking uh, in the playbook and in neuroscience around uh, improving the productivity of places of workspace of workplaces and and the spaces around us. Um, you know, how do we attract? How do cities attract and compete for global talent uh, and retain talent? Uh, how do office uh, you know, retail managers and and city managers uh, cr- curate and create places that? Uh, you know, empowered by the insights of neuroscience, drive productivity, drive social serendipity and innovation, innovation diffusion. So there's a whole set of interesting conversations there, which we're, we're keen to have. There's obviously um, um, a big uh, challenge in policy and public sector around uh, health and well-being, um, an ageing society, um, people with increasingly complex needs um, uh, as they live longer, to dementia, among other things. And so again, I think that the the, the applications which are um, touched on in the book around uh, how we promote social inclusion, how we um, engineer spaces and cities to be, uh, you know, to have fewer barriers, to be more navigable for people who have visual, cognitive uh, impairments and other other things, 
Um, not just because it's boring, but because actually you physically can't work out how to get from A to B if you haven't got some some artifacts on that route. Uh, we've done some interesting work with uh, the guide dogs uh, who who talk really clearly about... Just reference, that's a charity, not literally a group of guide not, dogs. Not actual guide dogs. <laughs> yeah. although, although some colleagues did go to the guide dogs uh, training facility and play with puppies. Oh, I, did, I didn't get to go. so much fun. Yeah. Um, but that was looking, yeah, how do people with visual impairments navigate? And what happens if that street's closed for roadworks? You know, they don't necessarily have an alternative route mapped out cognitively. Um, so, yeah, how do we design places which enable people to live independently and um, you know with a great sense of well-being and, and agency in their lives and of course the other big thing that people care about at the minute is town centres and retail and uh, how do we kind of uh, how do um, uh, cities regenerate and and drive growth in the local economies um, and again uh, you know I suppose the same is true for out-of-town developers as well as, as high streets but uh, again, I think there's really interesting insights and um, avenues to explore in the playbook uh, around um, you know, stickiness and dwell and the, what, what it is that makes places desirable the things, and the things that make them undesirable. How do we engineer out all of those um, barriers and stress factors? Uh, and of course, the same goes for all sorts of different developments and schemes. Um, whether you're building a new housing estate or a new campus or, or a new town centre or regenerative town centre, how do we maximise the chances of those being places that people want to spend time in and you know want to spend money in, ultimately? Um, uh, so there's a whole, you know, those are just three of the areas that we, we think are really sort of immediately applicable uh, to um, uh, the large companies and the, the, the city authorities that we're talking to with real challenges they're trying to grapple with. Um, and there's myriad others that we're, we're keen to explore as well. So would it be fair to say that you're at point number one starting to um, not necessarily force the hand, but you feel that one of the greatest points of action will be with a lot of the private industry just because they're quicker, they're more agile, they're looking to do something yesterday as much as they are tomorrow and having the influence over their aims, which is often around the idea of like productivity and success. That's kind of point number one, then stepping up to policy uh, to take the stuff in. Because I know you're doing a lot of work on, I believe it's uh, the Breathable City, which is mm-hmm. part of the City X um, festival that you're doing, That's right. which is uh, later in September. Uh, part of that is about Breathable, but obviously, Eritrea, you have you know just a wealth of insights on the quality of air pollution uh, oh, sorry, the poor quality of, of air pollution and its impact from a cognitive perspective. So, um, you know, would you say that's fair that, you know, in truth, a lot of this, we actually have to start hitting the people at the coalface uh, quicker and more effectively and then work our way up to policy? I think that's right. I think we're trying to help industry engage with this opportunity uh, and embrace it in the same way that some of some have embraced digital and other um, emerging technologies, innovative approaches so that they can go to uh, policy managers and placemakers, regen managers and the like, with um, an enhanced offer which meets the needs of that place, um, informed by this new cutting-edge research and, and thinking. You know, at the same time, we absolutely want to be supporting policymakers to understand that this is valid and credible and useful. Um, but, uh, and so we want them to start requiring people, you know, providers, um, planners and developers to be showing that they are drawing on this um, this new resource, this new expertise. Um, so it's it a, a bit of a dance, but I think um, we see industries being able to take a lead and show what's possible. 
Uh, and a bit like our work in planning, um, you know, there are those who will graft that opportunity and will create, you know, the new great big propositions of the future. There are those who will be reticent, uh, and there will be those who will come up out of nowhere to, you know, to disrupt the, the existing uh, processes and offers. Um, and so, uh, you know, our role is to support the establishment, to understand and grapple with the opportunity, um, but, um, but not to the exclusion of creating, of helping those fast movers to seize it and, and do new things as well. Uh, that's right. I, I think it's worth pointing out and maybe just having a couple lines on it that whilst uh, you know we all around the table and I think a lot of people who who you know join these conversations elsewhere do see that the private industry it does have to be a point of start we're not in this to try and help some you know greedy developer you know get a bit of you know insight that gets them through and actually they don't do it and you know that's not actually what the playbook is about the playbook is actually uh, fundamentally about how to improve human life mm. how to improve uh, I believe the phrase I is habitats for for human life and as a result of that when we get more targeted and when we identify the problems we can look towards once you start at health you can get towards a better sense of wellness and then you go to your well-being which ends up with our kind of economic financial you know business-led motion of productivity but when it when it comes to improving quality of health and if we just go back to air pollution you know i think i don't think a day goes past where something new isn't coming out in the press at the moment with regards to air pollution uh some examples of what's in this playbook that reference how we need to start tackling those issues first you know that is the point of agency at which if you're a large infrastructure group to understand how to observe or uh, analyze or read or track current or potential air pollution data and how so then if you change that you will start to get those kind of key metrics that you want so any, any points that you you know come to the top of your head after the thousands of uh, I think studies that you particularly mind to to come up with the suggestions in the playbook yeah I think one of the the things that for me is really important is for people to understand also the immediacy and simplicity of of this topic so that first of all at the at the at the most granular level it can be read by citizens to learn how to make better decisions about where they choose to live because that eventually you know that the, all those grassroots things do lead up to people going oh why isn't anybody coming to my borough <laughs> well because it's polluted because people are reading and informing themselves but equally in regards to to your question um it it was a debate when we were when we were doing the the playbook because we really could have gone to very attractive issues as you said before and really talk about automation look at ai modeling and all those key buzzwords but then we came back to okay because this is about the human what are the most important needs right now and it was let's reduce stressors so we put a whole section in the playbook about the 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 three four um fundamental stressors that people are combating which i think can have very quick solutions and do that full circle with fcc of people that are already have the technology to be able to reduce these things so you know air pollution as much as it is something that I think Sadiq Khan is trying to trying to battle. It can also be a question of somebody saying, look, I've got really great new technology to build um, a road that doesn't demolish with changing weather and it can have less 
potholes so traffic can flow and there isn't any stagnation and thus um, air pollution to somebody picking up, okay, look, from now on, we do not zone a main artery right next to a school. I think that's very simple. Or we say, which is a big one for me, I think is what I'm starting to see is smaller roads in London in London allowing really big trucks and delivery vehicles go through. And you could just, again, very simply go, okay, big arteries, fine, have it for vehicles, but these smaller roads where they are in neighborhoods where children are playing, et cetera, we don't allow for these big vehicles to go. And all these things can be implemented tomorrow. They don't need any fancy technology even. They just need the impetus to go, we're going to change that. Um, and then, of course, um, there's the, the lighting pollution stuff, which I think is another really important one because it's it comes down to changing people's metabolical function, which is then the route to very complex diseases. So that's as easy, again, as doing an incentive for businesses to turn their lights off at night. So the neighboring areas like here where we are at Commercial Street, that is both residential and commercial, just turn your lights off so that the people can essentially not be polluted with, with light. So they're very, very simple, I think, as well. I do want people to understand that this this neuroscience is just allowing you to understand what that relationship between habitat and human, but the solutions can be very direct and, and super simple. Excellent. Thank you. I think it's time that we we wrap up this conversation because arguably we could be sitting here for uh, a couple of days at least and we've had many many a conversation anyway but uh if people are more interested in this entire conversation that we've had which is all about uh city initiatives to improve the quality of life obviously head over to the future cities Casper website i'll follow up with those domains uh at the end of the podcast um but sam it just ending on from a personal point of view uh you know in, in your experience, what, what have you come across? Are there any particular sort of pieces of technology that you're excited to see come through or any particular books or things that you think, you know, if you care about cities, go have a look at this. This is this is going to change your perspective. It's going to inspire you. And even if you're a writer, can you can you inspire the next author to write something? Yeah, I mean, the big technology that I'm excited about, um, which has absolute, you know, applications overlaps with neuroscience, is around is digital twins and really complex sort of strong simulation of cities. Um, you know, companies like Improbable and others who are developing technologies, which I think in the not too distant future we will, uh, you know, will allow city managers and placemakers to have very sophisticated, robust, um, you know, virtual models of their place and to experiment in the digital. Um, make changes to you know the physical fabric um, uh, in you know on in a digital form uh, and to policies. So I think that's that's a huge exciting technology and the neuroscience work, the cutting edge of the neuroscience work uh, that Hugo is doing uh, around wayfinding uh, absolutely plays into that. Uh, in terms of books, um, I um, I'm a big fan of the Happy City book by Charles Montgomery um, uh, and lots in there around this this whole concept of the importance of place and its impact on our ourselves um, and what we as individuals and we as uh, city leaders and we as uh, corporate citizens can do. Um, and the other one I think I'd suggest is a book called Reality Is Broken. Um, by uh, Jane McGonigal, who's a futurist, uh, the future I referenced earlier, actually. Um, And that's a great book about how, um, for people interested in agency and, uh, you know, how how you can change the world, how you can affect change uh, and learning lessons from from games, 
why do the people in games, uh, playing games, believe they can achieve the next challenge because they're structured in a way to be just achievable, that you're in a, in a place of flow. And actually, there's lots of things that we could do in the real world uh, that take those sort of lessons uh, without naff gamification and kind of, you know, the kind of the, 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 the glitzier end, but the kind of the, the real, the real um, stuff of, of, of change making. So I'd recommend either of those. And, I, and a final pitch, if you'll allow me, you, refer, you referenced City X uh, coming up in a few weeks' time, the 25th, 6th and 7th of September uh, at the Catapult offices in Clerkenwell. Um, uh, we'll share all the information, but it's been a great three days. Uh, there's been lots of neuroscience woven throughout it. Uh, and it's an opportunity for public and private sector placemakers to come together with academics uh, and with thought leaders to uh, to be inspired uh, from uh, some great thinkers and great panels uh, to showcase the sort of best and brightest urban innovations uh, coming you know out of uh, UK. Uh, uh, PLC at the minute, uh, and to network and meet people uh, who are uh, developing great solutions and services and who are looking to buy products and services to make their cities uh, even better places to live, work and play. So um, yeah, we'll see you there. Excellent. Uh, and obviously, other than the Playbook Caricelli, I'm mm-hmm. going to throw the question to you. Any particular points of inspiration? And this doesn't just have to be about cities, it can sometimes be about life that inspires us to how we look at our a fellow citizen, a fellow neighbour, a fellow colleague um, in a shape of humanity, because arguably that is what shapes our often our behaviour in cities as well, is how we, how we choose to love and respect one another and our viewpoints that influence that. So is there anything that you've come across in the past few years that you'd say, hey, if you want to learn about human life, have a look at this? Well, um, I spend so much time researching that I actually am not very good with, with, with the book. So I'm just going to give a shout out to Hugo Spears' new book on navigation. I think he's a very, very good writer. So if you are interested in seeing some very cutting edge neuroscientific research and how it explains things like spatial navigation, spatial cognition, I, it's brand new and it's out. So I think have a look. I think he will write it in a way that is comprehensible. Um, we haven't ordered it yet, so we probably should do that too. Um, <laughs> but also, I would like to illustrate that the playbook, we really wrote it with the, the idea of it being open source. So any researcher on the neuroscience side or an engineer or whomever that sees holes or sees things that aren't quite right, that's okay. We want to understand more about um, the different iterations that something like this can have because we are absolutely at the very start. I mean, this is something about Future Cities Catapult that has been great. It's it's a real first step into, into a massive, massive um, subject matter. And then um, I would say as well, look at the work of Nick Tyler. I think he is probably at the moment my... Um, my source for looking into the future you know he's coming at it from an engineering perspective um but also a jazz music perspective so he talks about orchestrating things and he um and talks about rhythms of cities and i think that's again it's a nice metaphor for cities to look at them as orchestrations and as rhythms because at the moment I think we're quite unsyncopated but not in a cool jazzy way Um, (laughs) just in a very sort of noisy way so I think um looking at his work um as well would be really good and then also um just to say that we 
have to give a shout out to UCL as well for their support to lending us all their scientists um, and to um, Danny Ball as well who gave us really great insight about what it is like to be um, a person who is visually different and how much of the technology gets um, done incorrectly because we're not paying attention to, to people with different visual um, cognitions. Um, so unfortunately, nothing really to be inspired, <laughs> just more scientists to go and research. Um, hey, science is inspiring. That's why we're here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Excellent. Uh, Sam, Arishelli, thank you very much for coming on the podcast. Thank you very much. So a massive thanks to Sam and Aricelli for coming on to the podcast. I hope that was quite enlightening. It was good to see the through line being created from infrastructure and urban decisions all the way through to biology and where academia and science is taking us going forward. If you have any questions or want to keep up to date with what's going on between the two of them, you can follow them both on their own Twitter accounts, which is at Sam Markey, which is M-A-R-K-E-Y, as well as Araceli Camargo, which is all one word with an underscore at the end. And I will be including both those Twitter handles in the bio to this podcast. So following up on the links that were mentioned earlier in the podcast, Sam was referring to City Expo, which has a URL of cityxpo.org.uk. It's also viewable via their main website, which is futurecities.catapult.org.uk. Again, if you do want to attend and are looking for a discount, a 20% discount is available if you give us a message and we will provide you with a link to purchase the tickets directly. Uh, a little bit that Aricelli mentioned, which is the book by Professor Hugo Spears, where he was one of four authors on the book called Human Spatial Navigation. Uh, it's a great book. It's finally arrived at our offices, so we're looking forward to getting into it. And it's available through all good booksellers, and it's been published by the Princeton University Press. If you do have any questions about Centric Lab or about this podcast or you have an idea for it, drop us an email at podcast at thecentriclab.com. It would be great if you do have the time to go onto iTunes or wherever you listen to this, give us a review, hopefully a nice one. It always helps. What we're doing this podcast is just trying to spread a bit of inspiration to people that want to know more about cities and how they can help or just listen to how other people are making cities a better place for us to live through innovations in all of the industries we work in. Thanks very much for your time. Look forward to speaking to you on to the next one.